Thank you for listening to Sermon Podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. On this first week of Advent, we begin a series on 1 Thessalonians titled Hope for the World. The topic this week is hope-filled grief, and the preacher is Reverend Linda Johnson. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore encourage one another with these words. Hope. That's our focus this Advent. The coming of Jesus is hope for the world. His first coming brought great hope, didn't it? And as we wait for his second coming, I think all of us know that it's exactly what the world needs. Hope. And we long for Jesus to return. He is our hope. His coming gives us hope. Now, this week, we're, uh, this year, we're only getting three weeks of Advent. Uh, and then it's Christmas. And in these three Sundays, we're focusing in this little book of 1 Thessalonians. It's only five chapters. So I would encourage you, when you go home, have a read so that you can understand the whole picture of what Paul is wanting the Thessalonians to hear. Three weeks in the little book of Thessalonians. Have a read of it this week. Well, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica to encourage them. And over these three weeks, we'll be looking at hope-filled grief, hope-filled expectation, and hope-filled living. He's enthusiastic about their faith and about the way they have shared the good news of Jesus in their region. In chapter 1, listen to what he says to them. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. That's incredible praise, isn't it? High praise for the Thessalonians. I wonder if Paul wrote a letter to the Anglican Church Noosa. Would he be able to say the same thing? The Lord's message rang out from you and has become known everywhere. Hmm. 
But in this letter, Paul also addresses some issues, and today we're going to be looking at one of those issues. He assures them that all fellow believers who have already died will be resurrected to life with Jesus. He wants them to have hope-filled grief. This letter says to the Thessalonians and to us to place our confidence in Christ. Hope is secure. The future can be trusted because the future is in Jesus. In 2014, Chris and I had the privilege of being in this part of the world. We went to the north of Greece and we were in Thessalonica. And the first thing that surprised me when we went there was that our Greek tour guide pronounced it Thessaloniki. Spelt with a K. So every time I now read Thessalonians, I want to say Paul's letter to Thessaloniki. (laughs) Well, 2,000 years ago, Thessalonica was a bustling city with a thriving seaport. It was an important communication centre. It was an important trade centre because it was located at the junction of the Great Ignatian Way and the road leading north to the Danube. Trade. The population at that time was about 200,000 and it was the largest city in Macedonia. It's a big place. And this is thought to be one of Paul's earliest letters, maybe even the very first one he ever wrote. He travelled there during his second missionary journey, which was probably around the years 49 to 51, and he started there by preaching in the synagogue, leading lots of people to Jesus. He probably then had about an 18-month stay in Corinth, which is further south, maybe around the year 50, and it's possible that he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians from there. Paul was desperate for them to continue in their faith. Timothy was sent to be their encourager and their teacher because Paul didn't want them to let go of the teaching that he'd been able to give them over his time there. But Timothy must have come back and given some news because he was concerned that they might slip back into some old habits. And so he addresses the issues head on. He says to them, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul sets out to reassure them, to set their minds at rest first about their Christian friends who had died, but also about their own future as well. And it's interesting that he wants to set their minds at ease by encouraging them to use their minds. We do not want you to be uninformed, he says. That means you've got to use your mind. Get learning. In so many situations, I think uh, despondency arises out of ignorance, doesn't it? Not knowing what's going to happen is so often a major contributor to stress, to depression, particularly when there are all sorts of possibilities that we can think of, and some of them probably aren't very good options, but that's where the mind goes. So he wants them to use their minds even while they're grieving. But notice, though, that he doesn't say that we shouldn't grieve. He's not saying that at all. Grief is a natural and necessary emotion for us to go through and to work through. What Paul says is that he doesn't want them to grieve the way others do. 
who have no hope. As a church family, we've been through our share of grief, haven't we, in the last few years? Not so long ago, in 2019, you had to say goodbye to a beloved pastor who was called off to be a bishop. You had to say farewell to Mark and Susan, even though you didn't want to. The grief wasn't because of death, but it's still a very real grief. And we've lost some beloved members over the last few years. Ray Williams. More recently, Harvey Williams. Sue Ensor. Barbara Kelly, Liz McDonald, Wendy Hines, Barry Ladwig, John Fenton, Tony Marsh, Prue Blake, to name just a few. And as I look around and see your faces today, I know that there are many of you who have lost dear loved ones in recent times. Your grief is real. As a family, Chris and I have had our share of grief over the last two years. In January last year, we lost Chris's mum. Then just a few weeks later, we lost his dad. In January this year, we lost my mum. And then in June, we lost our dear maiden aunt, who was such a very integral and close part of our family. Grief is real. There's a great sadness when a loved one dies and we need to be, uh, well, we need to be real about it. And we wonder, don't we? We wonder what it means for them, what's happened, and we wonder what it means for us. But there's a but. But... There's also certainty for those who die in Christ. And the certainty is that the future is good for them. And that future is held by God in Jesus. So I think it's important that we need to understand the context for these Thessalonians too, as Paul is speaking to them. We've got to remember that this is not all that long after the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It's all very fresh. And Jesus' followers were waiting for him to come back because he told them that he would. And this was all part of the apostolic teaching to all these new churches that were being formed in Asia Minor. The resurrection of Jesus meant that his followers would also be resurrected when he returned. And Paul says, we don't want you to be ignorant of these things like others who have no hope. Without Jesus, it makes sense that death brings desperation. But Paul reminds them that this is not the case when we have the truth about Christ. Gene Green, in his commentary on this passage, says, their grief should be tempered and informed by the hope they held based on the resurrection of Christ and the promise of his coming. The apostles preached hope in a world where even hope seemed to have flown out of the jar. So the reason why Christians should not despair in the face of death is because of the fundamental confession 
of the church, which is, we believe that Jesus died and rose again and will come again. That's basic Christian truth. We summarise it regularly when we say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's good to say those words, isn't it? Now, in our own day, there are some in the church who deny the historical reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. They're happy to talk about Jesus' resurrection as a spiritual experience of the disciples, but not that Jesus physically came back to life. It's very sad that that's happening across the worldwide church. And it's sad because it leaves them without a firm hope for themselves or for their loved ones. Our hope of resurrection stands or falls on Jesus' resurrection. Because we have a firm belief that Jesus rose from the dead, we can also be firmly confident that we will rise from the dead. Paul reminds them that Jesus has promised he will return and will bring with him those who have died already. And the Christians in Thessalonica were eagerly waiting for Jesus to return. We are too, aren't we? We wait with longing for him to come and bring his salvation to its great and ultimate fulfilment. And that hope isn't just for ourselves. That hope and confidence includes those who've already died in Christ. The Thessalonians were concerned that the members of their church who had died would miss out, (laughs) would miss Jesus' return. But Paul assures them that not only will Jesus return as he promised, but when he does... It will be cataclysmic. The archangel will cry out. God's trumpet will sound. Jesus will descend from heaven. And those who have already died in Christ will rise from death. Then those who are still arise also will be gathered together with him. Can you picture it? Trumpets ringing out. Jesus glorious as he descends. People coming to meet him. It's mind-blowing. John in Revelation 1 puts it like this. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. No one's going to miss it. No one will be able to hide. Philippians 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So what is Paul saying to the Thessalonians? Don't be disheartened at the fact that some of your Christian brothers and sisters have already died. Their future is as certain as ours. They're waiting for the day of the Lord just as we are. They're resting from their labours until Jesus comes to wake them into their new life in Jesus. So he says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Living in a world that's opposed to Christ and trying to be faithful to to him, to do his will, is hard, isn't it? And we need encouragement from time to time. 
In fact, I think that's inadequate. We need encouragement pretty frequently. <laughs> so who gives the encouragement? You do. Who gets the encouragement? You do. From one another, to one another, for one another. Paul says, encourage one another with these words. This is mutual, loving and encouraging one another with words of truth. How are you going with this sort of encouragement? I think we've got a real issue in the 21st century. I think we've moved away from thinking about and meditating on the truth of Jesus' resurrection and his return as a way of encouraging one another. There was a time, I don't know whether you remember this phrase, it was probably you know a few decades ago now, there was a time when Christians were criticised for being so heavenly-minded they were of no earthly use. Remember that? In fact, I would say that the danger now is that we're so focused on this world that we forget the future dimension at all. We forget that we're strangers in this broken world waiting for Jesus to come back and restore things to the way they should be. My friends, I want to encourage you in the way you encourage one another. What might you be able to say to others over morning tea today? Talk about this passage. Ask someone what they thought of the sermon. Be purposeful in your conversations with each other. And at home, meditate on Jesus' resurrection and use what he gives you to encourage others. Let's encourage one another in these very basic Christian truths. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Our grief can be hope-filled because of Jesus. I want to finish very simply by rereading the passage and listen to it again in the light of what I've been saying. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen.
the Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.